Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chad, if I've not met you before, and I'm the pastor of this congregation, and we'd love to have you stick around for a cup of tea uh, a little bit later, and I can catch up with you more then. Uh, Anthony has mentioned that we are going through our series um, called the Synoptic Gospels, and if that's a weird-sounding name to you, it basically just means the interrelated Gospels, and we talked about how Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, share uh, a very similar structure to their story and a lot of the same um, material, but different ones expand upon it a little bit more and add some more detail. So we're comparing these three to find out what we can learn. That's why we have four Gospels and not just one, so that we can compare them together. And we're going to follow on with the story that goes immediately after last week's story. So we looked at Jesus' baptism, and immediately after that, we have um, what's called the temptation or the testing of Jesus. And I want us to think about those two words, because sometimes when you read about this, it'll say, this is the account of the testing of Jesus. And some say this is about the temptation of Jesus. And in a sense, both are right, but they have different nuances. So as we go to our next slide, it's really not a coincidence that here in, um, in, or in Matthew 4, we're told in the same account that we just read, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But then later on, Jesus himself, just two chapters later, will teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. And that's not a contradiction, but it's important that we understand the difference between test and temptation. There's no doubt that God was testing His Son, and um, I was thinking about all the tests that we take in our lives, and I was the one who did the 120 hours with both of my children at the same time as they were preparing uh, to drive, and I realized that this was all about this a driving experience, a whole series of tests. First of all, I would drive around with them for the better part of 100 hours. Then I handed them over to a professional who would prepare them for their test, and they would go from their L's to their P's to their full license over this period of years. And it's all because we want to make sure that they are prepared before my kids end up on the M4, in their case, um, that they know how to drive around and pass these basic tests. I wanted them to pass. Their driving instructor wanted them to pass. And in fact, everyone involved in the process wanted to make sure that they were good drivers. So tests are there to help us and to guide us, and, and the goal is to pass. Temptation is a different story. Jesus goes out to pass a test, but Satan was there to tempt him. It's a difference of a test. They're there to, you know, Satan was there to trip him up, to cause him to fall, to stumble. So God wants him to pass a test. Satan wants to use temptation to derail him. And there's a reason for this, a biblical reason for this. If, as we go on to our next slide, there's the, the whole Old Testament background. So first of all, as we move on from last week, um, we remember the at the baptism, uh, Jesus sees heaven parting. The Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. God's own voice says, you are my son. I am pleased with you. So Jesus has been, you know, it's been said right from heaven, this is, this is God's son. This is the one to look at. I'm pleased with him. But is Jesus going to prove himself worthy? So now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, leaves the Jordan and is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So let's just go on 
and look at a little bit more background. Part of the reason for this is that Luke's gospel and his genealogy makes it very clear that Jesus is a son of Adam. It traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. So in some ways, when Jesus is called the son of man, remember Adam means man, he's the son of Adam, or he's the son of man. And Adam Adam hadn't done so well with his test, and we can see some similarities. Here's Jesus, he's out in the wilderness, and Satan is coming to him and trying to tell him these lies to trip him up. Back in Adam's day, God has just blessed Adam and Eve and said, you're created in my own image, and immediately Satan comes in and he tests him, he tempts him. Did God really say that you are not to eat of this particular tree? And he goes on and causes Adam to slip up. But later on, God makes the comment to Adam and Eve, one of your own children, one of your own sons, a son of Adam, a son of man, will come along and crush Satan's head. Is Jesus going to be the serpent crusher, or is he going to fall just as his forefather had? And then as we go on uh, into the Old Testament, if we look at our next slide, we see that Jesus is also called the son of Israel or the son of Abraham. Matthew's genealogy traces his, uh, Jesus's birth back to Abraham. And of course, Abraham had been promised that through one of his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. But then when God led Israel out of Egypt and towards the promised land, and he gave them the, the commandments, and he said, I want you to be holy because I am holy. And Moses reads all of these things out to the children of Israel and Israel says, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. But then, for 40 years in the wilderness, you get that idea of 40 days and 40 years, Israel is tested in all these ways. They don't have food. They don't have water at certain points. They are tempted to go and worship a golden calf, another god. And so all of these tests face Israel. And now here comes Jesus as a son of Abraham. And the question is, will he slip up the way that his forefathers did in the wilderness, or will he pass the test? So as we just move on, there's one other bit of background here that I think is really important. Um, you notice at the very end of our Bible reading today, um, Sarah read out that when the devil had finished Every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Um, sometimes, if you just read Matthew's gospel, it says, you know, and then Satan departed from him, from him, and you get this sense, oh, so now Jesus has finished his testing, he's finished his confrontation with Satan, now he can just go on with his ministry. But Luke tries to make it clear at the very end that Satan is still there. Mark's gospel is interesting. This is the whole of Mark's account of, of what we're going to read today. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and angel, angels ministered to him. The point here is that they're not trying, Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel are trying to make it very clear. Jesus is now entering into a battle with Satan. Um, at the very beginning of his ministry, there's going to be lots of driving out of demons. There's going to be lots of the religious leaders coming and testing Jesus and tempting him. So 
especially Mark and Luke, try to make it plain to us. This is not Jesus having completed temptation and testing in the same way that my children, when they passed their, all their tests and got their full license, every day they're still tested on the road, right? Are they going to do the right thing? Jesus is in an ongoing battle um, with Satan, and here is him kind of entering that in a formal way. So we'll just move on. So our background is that Jesus, um, full of the Holy Spirit, he's left the Jordan River where he is baptized. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, that symbolic testing number. Uh, he was going to be tempted by the devil. And then we're told he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. And that could be one of those will duh sort of things. But it's important because sometimes when people think about Jesus they, they just think, oh, but he, that would have been a snack for him. You know, he could have just snapped his fingers and made his hunger go away and all of that. But that's not the point. Jesus entered into human flesh. That was part of his, the, the frailty as a human he faced. And so the Gospels are trying to make it very clear. No, he was hungry. And, and therefore, what happens next is very significant. So as we move on. We get to our first test. Um, is Jesus going to break fast or is he going to endure with God? I don't know if you've ever thought about the word breakfast, but that's actually what it means. Probably by the time that you wake up in the morning, it's been about 12 hours since you've eaten. That's an abnormal number of hours. And so you break your fast with breakfast. Jesus had agreed to go through this time of temptation. In the wilderness, um, when Israel didn't have food or water. They would complain to Moses, and God would miraculously provide bread in the wilderness. But Jesus has agreed not to do that. He is going to endure this entire test. And so the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, and you notice that Satan uses this terminology, in other words, you're a fraud, you know, prove who you are. But Satan's always going to ask Jesus to prove it on Satan's terms, not on God's terms something to keep in, in our minds. If you are God's son, then tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, who really sustains us um, when we're a little bit panicked? You know, is it, is it the supermarkets or, you know, do we make a rush to make sure that we get all of our, our groceries? Because the supermarkets provide for us, right? Um, but God is the provider of all things. He sends the rain. He causes things to grow. He makes sure that food is distributed to people. And so are we going to trust that ultimately it's God who sustains our life or do we need to go and turn the stones to bread, so to speak? We can just move on to our next slide. How do we apply these things? Well, Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, if we have our daily bread, with these we will be content. And it's, it's one of my favorite verses on, on contentment, because if you think about it, if you were someone who gets up each day and says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and you can be content with your, the basic needs, just what you have, then you are very blessed because you've got everything that you need, right? You've got everything in life that you need if you are content with your daily bread. 
As soon as you're not content with your daily bread, and I always, you know, sometimes you read about different sort of rock stars or movie stars or whatever, and they've bought their fifth, you know, palace or investment property, their second jet, and all of these other things, and pretty soon you find out that they're in financial trouble, and you think, how is it that you make all these millions and millions of dollars, and you have all of these properties? Because once you buy into the whole idea that I just need something else to be fulfilled, you're never fulfilled. You are never content. If you're not content, then you're always going to be wanting. But the person who has their daily bread and they're thankful for it, they've got everything they need. That's why godliness with contentment, it is the ultimate investment because you'll always have everything that you want. You believe Satan's lie, you'll never have enough and you'll die empty regardless of how much you have in your bank account. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's move on. Test number two, will Jesus take a shortcut around the cross? The devil says to him, it leads him to a high place, and in an instant, you know, this is sort of a spiritual experience, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says to him, I will give you their authority and their splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want, but here's the catch. You must worship me. I want you to think about this. Satan basically says to Jesus, the kingdoms and the power and the authority and the glory can be yours both now and forever if you worship me. But Jesus had a different take on it. The the kingdom and the power and the glory and authority belong to God. And therefore, as he goes on to say, Next slide, please. Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Know what the source of life is. Know what the source of glory is. And keep your eyes fixed on where those things come. What you're saying, Satan, is, is a lie. You don't have the glory. You don't have the power. You don't have the authority. And therefore, even though you say to me, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do this whole life of, of hard and sometimes futile work. I'll just hand it to you right now. Take the shortcut. Jesus knows that if he lives the perfect life and dies the death he's been appointed to die and rises again, he will be taken up into heaven and he will be glorified with God and the kingdom and the power and the glory and the authority will be his because it will be granted by the one who has these things, and he does not believe Satan's lie. Next slide. Jesus later on goes on to say, what will it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his very soul? And as we go to our next slide, I just wanted to very quickly share, there's a whole bunch of... um, American folklore stories that all have to do with with Satan making a deal with someone, you know, to sell your soul to the devil. I'll give you whatever, but I get your soul at the end. But one of my favorites is not an American folklore. It comes from Tolstoy, and he has this little fable called How Much Land Does a Man Need? And so the picture here kind of summarizes what the whole thing is about, but this peasant farmer uh, has a, a dream one night where he's warned that Satan's getting ready to tempt him with something that's going to cost him his life and cost him his soul. 
And shortly after that, he encounters a man who says to him, I'm going to make you a deal. You know, I'll sell you this little tiny bit of property, but the deal is I'll give you as much as you can walk between sunrise and sunset. All you have to do is take your little shovel and dig your little hole in the ground and then go to the next point and the next point and the next point, and you can have everything that you can cover between sunup and sunrise as long as you can get back here by sunset. So at sunrise, he gets up and he thinks, you know what, I'm going to have more than I need by morning tea time. I'll get back here easily. And so he goes out and he marks off what is a, a reasonable amount of property, but then he thinks, this would be kind of a waste. I'm going to get back by morning tea. I'll, I'll go till noon, and then I'll, then I'll go back. And so he goes out a little bit further, and then he thinks at noon, you know what, I've been walking this whole thing. What if I ran? I could cover twice as much uh, property, and you can kind of see where the whole thing's going. He suddenly sees the sun starting to set, and he starts running as fast as he can. And he sees the property line, the, the finish line, and he, he runs faster and faster, and the sun is just about ready to go down. And he gets across the line, but he dies at a heart attack at Satan's feet, who is lying there. And, and the big point is, you know, how much land does a man need? You know, Satan offers, the kingdoms of the world can be yours, but at what price? What does it gain what does it profit any of us if we should gain all the kingdoms of the world but should forfeit our very soul? Better to serve in the tents of God than to partner, be business partners with Satan. Let's move on. The third test, expecting God to always shield us. In this test, and by the way, Luke finishes with the test in the temple, whereas Matthew kind of does this thing that starts on the desert floor and then goes to the temple and then goes to this high mountain. Luke chooses to finish in the temple, and I think probably because that was the most historically accurate one, because once Jesus returned to the temple, he had left the wilderness, and that would have been the final test. But also, the temple is very significant in Luke's gospel. Remember that John the Baptist's uh, birth was announced at the beginning of Luke in the temple. Jesus, as a 12-year-old, um, goes to the temple and says to his parents, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus is going to teach from the temple. Um, and Jesus will eventually say, destroy this temple, and I will raise up another temple in three days. Uh, the early church in Luke's sequel, Acts, will meet in the temple courts. And so, in some ways, Luke uses this as his exclamation point story because here you've got Satan, you've got the Christ standing there in the temple, and if Satan can get Jesus to suicide over the temple gates, you've got the dead Messiah outside of the temple. I mean, what could be better if you were Satan? Or Jesus can prove himself that he really is God's son and do it as God's Messiah right there in the temple. So this is where Luke puts his exclamation point. The devil leads Jesus to Jerusalem, has him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. 
He goes on to talk about how angels will pick you up and bear you on their wings. You will not even strike your foot on the ground. Just go to our next slide. Jesus simply says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I want us to think about this temptation because it may not be very obvious to us, but I was thinking about the number of people who I've known in my lifetime who've walked away from their faith at the point that they put God to the test and God didn't deliver. I mean, it would be a pretty unreasonable thing of Jesus, right, to say, God should, if I jump from here, he should shield me, he should defend me because I'm God's own son. But it's not a very clever thing to go and jump off the, off the temple. But also, do we really expect God to always shield us and always protect us? And the number of people I have known who have said, I trusted in God, but when I went through that hardship, when I went through that sickness, when I lost that person in my life, when I didn't get that job, God did not come through for me. And therefore, I will not trust him anymore. I trusted him when my life was good. But in my mind, according to my test, God should have come through for me. And when I suffered hardship and when I suffered loss, when I wanted gain or when I prayed for that job or I prayed for that thing or I prayed against this but I was tested and God didn't come through, well, then I will not trust him. And Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. God will provide your daily bread, but God never promises that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In fact, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Expect hardship. Expect loss. Expect temptation. Expect hard times. And God will see you through. And And Jesus trusted God to see him through all of his suffering and temptation and loss that he suffered. But he would trust God no matter what. If we can just go to our next slide. One of the things I love about um, Satan, and I just want to talk briefly about the misuse of Scripture. Here is the Scripture that that Satan quotes to Jesus. Um, He takes it straight from the Psalms, and when he says, "It, It is written... For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's where Satan draws the full stop. You know, if he'd just gone on to the very next verse, it goes on to say, and you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, and you will trample the great lion. You will trample the serpent. You will crush Satan's head. You go back to Genesis Satan tempted Adam in the wilderness. I was tempted Adam when he had everything, the whole garden around him. And God promised him one of your own sons, a son of Adam, a son of man will come along and he will crush the serpent's head. And I was sort of struck by how many kind of prosperity doctrine preachers are out there who take out these little lines from the Bible you know, see, God promises you blessings. See, God promises you all of these sort of good things. And they only quote to you as much as what they want to hear. And I think this is just a little reminder. Um, it would have, I mean, Jesus knew what he was doing, but it would have sort of been nice if Jesus had just gone on and said, yeah, 
God did say those things, and he also said, and then you will trample Satan's head, and you will not tempt me. I will crush you by following the path that God has set before me. Let's just go on. There are just three takeaways I want us to, to have from today. First of all, from Jesus' prayer that he taught us to pray, the Lord's pray, prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. James writes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God will test us. God will put trials and tribulations in our way. When I was speaking to the people who are going to be baptized in in April, I said to them, you're getting ready to stand up in front of the congregation and to declare your faith in Jesus. Don't be surprised if before, during, and after you face all of these tests to your faith, because what better time to come along and derail you in your faith than the moment that you're getting ready to stand up and say, I trust in Jesus. Test will come, or, you know, these people who are doing the gap year, you know, you decide, I want to dedicate this year to do what God has told me to do. Well, then don't be surprised when you step out or you say, I'm going to go on a short-term mission or I'm going to do whatever. Those are the times that you get tempted by Satan. But God also uses these as tests because he doesn't put L-platers out on the M4 without having prepared them first. So be prepared for tests, but know God wants you to pass the test. Satan wants you to fail, but God doesn't tempt you. He wants what is best for you. Next point, as we go on to our next slide. Hebrews tells us, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, um, like as we are, but without sin. As we face temptation, we are given these stories in the Scriptures to remind us. Don't ever say, oh, well, that's fine for Jesus because he could just make, snap his fingers and make the hunger go away, or he could have whatever he wanted. No, he faced every temptation that you face, from cradle to grave, and even more so. So he understands what you're going through. He's also the high priest that even when we fail, has the ability to forgive our sins and to give us a new start if we can continue to confess our sins. The last point, and Anthony will say a little bit more about this as we uh, close, if we are not going to be tempted um, by Satan, you know, saying turn stones into bread, we need a steady diet of Scripture and prayer. Um, those will satisfy our cravings so that, you know, worldly cravings don't take over. One of my favorite psalms that I memorized as a young man, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Jesus gives us an example of how we pass tests and temptation. Um, through a steady diet of hiding his word in our hearts, placing his word in our minds. He knew who God was and what God was like because he was in constant communi communication with God through prayer. We, too, need the fellowship of believers. We need God's word in our hearts. We need constant communication with our Father. 
And then that way, we will pass these tests and we will shield ourselves from Satan's temptation. We're going to sing our song of response and then Anthony will close.